0: Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thry Bites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and thank you for listening on. Today, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest with us today. Her name is Dr. Jodi Tate. Say hi to everyone, Jody.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, where are you calling from?
1: I'm calling from Portland, Oregon.
0: Ooh. Okay. So we're on the same coast. That's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I love Portland. I just, um, I think it was like a couple of years back. I did a local race and it was a, um, it was a race. Uh, I think it was like a 5K where you hop at hop around in different bars. So it was almost like a barthon. So uh, Portland's a lovely city.
1: It is. It is.
0: <laughs> um, so for those of you who do not know who uh, Dr. Jody Tate is, she is a pulmonary and critical care. Uh, specialists. And she also has extra training uh, in sleep medicine. Um, And she uses the platforms of IG and Twitter to talk about uh, education and information about Bettering your sleep and general medicine. And she's also a wife and a mother of two. So we're really excited for her to be here on the show. Um, So, my first question to you is I love hearing about people's stories and Mm -hmm. how they got from point A to point B. And um, I'd love for you to kind of take us back, you know, what got you into this life path? You know, it seems like, you know, you got three specialties under your belt, but, you know, I want to know the story. Um you know, behind all that, so can you take us through that?
1: yeah, absolutely you know my my interest in medicine started when i was when I was younger um and I kind of had two big health occurrences that happened that, looking back, I realized drove me into medicine and also in a way helped me set, pick my specialties um the one of the events is um I had a basketball injury in high school. So I love sports. I love team sports. I love being part of a team. It was a huge part of my identity growing up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then senior year, preseason game, I'm captain of the basketball team. And just a fluke accident, I ended up breaking my foot. Mm. And, you know, you go, you're on, you're on crutches for like, maybe two months. And then I was told, okay, it should be better. Go back to playing. and uh, But every time I took a step, it hurt. You know, I went mm-hmm. to see my doctor, and they said, well, it'll get better. Just give it time. And I gave it time. Always hurt when I stepped on it. Um, but, I mean, I was, I was dedicated. I was going to play basketball whether it hurt or not. <laughs> so I got back on right. the court. But um, I really could never play at the degree that I was able to before. It was always painful. And I started to kind of run a little lopsided, you know, trying to not put as much weight on the foot that hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that went on uh, for a few years. And I, I finally found a sports medicine doctor. And I said, look, I have pain every time I step on my foot. Uh, I've been told that it, you know, it should, there shouldn't, this should be okay by now. Um, but I'm just wondering if there's anything you can do to help me. And, you know, he examined me, did x-rays, and he said, oh, well, you know, your foot's still broken. Um, It never actually healed. Apparently the the fracture I had broke into the joint, and the joint fluid just prevented the healing process. Mm. Um, So I ended up having surgery, and the pain is gone. But it took me years to get that, and really quite a life-changing thing. I sort of had to change My identity. I mean, all I did was play basketball and go to school. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I met him and he acknowledged, yeah, you have pain. Let me figure out what's going on. And luckily for me, he was able to find something to fix and took away the pain. It just, for me, I said, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to have that knowledge to do that for somebody Mm -hmm. and help somebody when they're when they're in some sort of bad way and they need help and they need someone to listen to, they need someone to try to fix things, I want to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So that was, um, that was in college. And so I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to medical school. And then, so that was a very conscious awareness that this is what's driving me into medicine. I had another event that happened in my childhood that I didn't realize was driving me into medicine until I was... Much older, wiser, and able to reflect. (laughs) Um,
0: But those are the best moments. I know, right? (laughs) Like looking back, this is what I'm doing. This is the (laughs) reason why.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So uh, when I was young, when I was eight, my my mom died. Um, She was 39 years old. She had breast cancer. Um, Huge life changing event for my family. Um. I I. uh, I look back, and I realize that some of my drive to do medicine, and probably in particular critical care medicine, is that I want to have that knowledge. I want to try to be able to control the uncontrollable, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, And in critical care medicine, you're taking care of patients that are actively dying, like they're in the process of dying. And your job is to see if you can try to save them. And I wanted to be able to do that. Uh, and I think it was, it was later on in my medical career. Somebody asked me, why do you want to do that? That sounds like really stressful. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think it really was because I wanted to have that knowledge. And I wanted to be able to try to save people that were, that were dying. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, it's, uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of great points to what you talked about. Um, uh, it's for, for, for our general audience uh, members, um, uh, that are listening in it's, uh, you know, we have a lot of different kinds of specialties and, um, you know, depending on the specialty, uh, there are certain groups of patients that come to us some of them um are just walking around just getting checkups seeing your primary docs and then you have some you know patients that are you know closer to death you know what i'm saying and your specialty mm-hmm. is very interesting and um you know it's a very challenging field where you know you have to you know, weighs, weigh the pros and cons on in terms of what intervention will help them at this moment. Or, you know, you have to think about, okay, how much can I prolong this person's lifespan or, you know, whether I want to do that or whether I want to, you know, just keep, uh, keep optimizing their quality of life, you know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, a lot of things that you have to weigh in. And it's in a very, you know, what's different between, you know, your specialty and others is that we have more time, Mm -hmm. you know, like for, for you, you have, you have in a very limited amount of time to kind of figure out, you know, what to do next. And so it's not an easy, you know, job. So I definitely applaud you for, you know, being in a field and, you know, being, you know, doing what you're doing.
1: Mm, Thank you. Thank you. You know, and Um, it it is a really good balance, like you were saying, you have to figure out first what are the options what you can do to help this person and if they would actually want you to do those things to them right right
0: right yeah, yeah. exactly i I grew up playing basketball, so I definitely mm-hmm. can relate to you know your uh your sentiment about the childhood and you know, that feeling of going through an injury and that preventing you from either getting back into the game or something like that. I grew up um, doing a lot of recreational intramural leagues Mm -hmm. um, and I've had a lot of pickup games as a child. So I really, um, really enjoyed it. So uh, I can, you know, easily put myself in your shoes and be like, wow you know it's like this is frustrating because all you want to do is just play right? right and 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 not having that feeling of being able to participate especially if your friends are already playing and you're just like ah oh, i'm just left behind and so um but you know what i'm also a proponent of things happen for a reason and right. it's great that you've actually had those two encounters one you know one you know uh you know one doctor visit where I I don't want to say, I can't speak on that doctor's behalf, but I one of them, you know, didn't listen or didn't, you know, wasn't uh, more mindful or didn't do more follow-up to take care of you, right? Right. And um, and then the second one, you know, did. And so you it's great that you actually have those two memories to kind of contrast to be able to propel you into the medical field. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that's great. So what is, uh, so what, what drove you? So after that, you know, mm-hmm. take us through critical medicine, um, and then in pulmonary, and then how much longer after that, before you decided to go into sleep medicine and mm-hmm. why sleep medicine?
1: Um, you know, it started, some of my interest started when I, so you finished medical school and then I did my residency. So I did three years of internal medicine. Um, and that is taking care of adults, uh, that are not surgery and not delivering babies. So everything else, you know, pneumonia, diabetes, heart attack, strokes, all those things, preventative care. And then uh, during that time, I got really interested in lung diseases then also in the critical care medicine. But mm-hmm. so my, my, I started to have this peak interest in sleep medicine as well during that time. Um, and then I went in and I did my uh, three years of pulmonary critical care Fellowship, and that's when I really focused on the lung diseases and critical care medicine, and my my desire to learn more about sleep just even heightened during that time because um, when you're when you're taking care of people in the hospital or in, in the criti- in the intensive care unit that are really sick, um, I, I started to see a pattern. I started to see a lot of patients that come in and they have a massive heart attack or they have a massive stroke and you start talking to them or talking to their family to try to figure out, you know, why did they have this stroke? What are the risk factors that they have? And time and time again, I kept meeting people who are having these catastrophic, catastrophic illnesses who sounded like they've had severe sleep apnea for Mm -hmm. a decade untreated. And I got to the point where I I just said, you know, I want to meet this person 15 years ago, Mm. so that I can, I can get their sleep apnea treated, and hopefully prevent this from happening, happening to them now. Mm. Because, you know, by the point you're having your massive MI, you know, we do everything we can to support you and hope that your your heart heals. But I just, you know, I wanted to do that preventative part to prevent mm-hmm. them from getting there. And so uh, that's what really got me interested in sleep medicine. And in my pulmonary fellowship, when you learn about, you know, how the lungs work and how how people breathe, I wanted to know more about what happens when you breathe at, how, how do you breathe at night and what mm-hmm. happens when that goes wrong? So it was yeah. both those two things that, um, I decided to go on and do an extra year of sleep medicine fellowship.
0: Um, Yeah. There's so many, um, so many points. It's, uh, it's not commonly talked about, right. Right. Um, You know, and it's, it's such a core to such a a foundational core of just healthy, you know, living, right. And wellness Um, time and time again, um, and you could probably add to this uh, as well is that we don't get enough nutritional. Yeah. So, in my world, it's, we don't get enough nutritional and lifestyle education, especially in the medical school curriculum uh-huh. and let alone sleep. I mean, I mean, there's just, you know, not, I mean, if anything, our, our association with sleep, you know, for a healthcare professional is <laughs> that we don't get enough of it, right? Exactly. So, but, um, but it's fascinating to learn about. You know, the evolution of, you know, sleep science and medicine over time. And, um, you know, it is Im- important. I t- completely agree and uh, concur with your statements. It's, you know, something that is overlooked and brushed aside and not really, you know, emphasized. And, you know, I'm a member of the. I don't know uh, if you are or not, but I'm a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Mm. And one of the six uh, components of, um, you know, the, the the model is sleep, you know, mm-hmm. in, in addition to, you know, eating and fitness and reducing, reducing risky behaviors. And, you know, sleep is a main component, but it's not really talked about, you know, right. and I don't and, and um, you know, we need to talk more, you know, about it. So... Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. So my question is to you is, you know, let's start from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. Can you share with us, you know, some basics, you know, sleep one-on-one, um, you know, uh, about sleep? Like how many hours are we supposed to get? Um, and just kind of take us through a little bit.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I, most people, adults, they they say you should get between seven to nine hours of sleep mm-hmm. Um I, I prefer people do eight to nine hours, mm-hmm. but it's true. There's some people that feel very refreshed with seven. Mm-hmm. Now when I say eight to nine hours, you know, seven to nine hours of sleep, that's actual sleep. Most people maybe takes 15, 20 minutes to f- to fall asleep. Once you get into bed, you do your bedtime routine and it takes a little time before you fall asleep. So uh, the sleep doctor for the NBA so he counsels NBA players on their sleep because it's obviously very important for athletes in particular yeah. at that high level to get enough sleep. So he's, he says they absolutely have to have nine and a half hours of sleep opportunity mm-hmm. time. So mm-hmm. it doesn't mean going to bed at 10 if you have to get up at five. I mean, that's seven hours technically, but you're probably getting closer to six and a half. That's that's not not, not good. Mm-hmm. So I, I – Yeah. Leaving, leaving a little t- extra time to allow yourself to get to sleep peacefully. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're getting that adequate sleep. It's so important. When you don't get enough sleep or you have a sleep disorder that's not giving you good quality sleep, it affects your entire body. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can affect your blood sugar, the health of your blood vessels, the mm-hmm. way you think and store memories. It mm-hmm. can affect whole body inflammation as well. Because when we go to sleep, that's when we're supposed to have this cleansing and restorative time uh, where the body gets rid of inflammation and sort of repairs the things that went wrong during the day and and get your body back to uh, ready for for the next day. And if you don't give yourself enough time or you have a medical problem causing poor sleep, your whole body is going to be affected by it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I mean, there's so much to talk about. I mean, um, you know, what time is best to, you know, uh, you know, to sleep, you know, Mm -hmm. is it, is it preferable to, so for my, my, you know, um, my personal experience, I and how I work, I like to I'm not a night owl, I would prefer going to sleep, you know, uh, around 10 or 11, and just waking up earlier. You Mm -hmm. know, Um, I find from my experience that, you know, even if I sleep late, like, let's just say past midnight, right? Mm -hmm. And I put in still eight or nine, when I wake up, I'm not, you know, refreshed, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously everyone's different, you know, are and is there a difference um, in terms of when you sleep for the body is preferable?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, everyone has their own internal clock, their circadian rhythm, and that controls when their body thinks you should be asleep and when you should wake up. Um, So for most people, it's supposed to be based on when it gets dark uh, and the light dims, you start secreting a hormone called melatonin, which Mm -hmm. naturally helps you get to sleep. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we're supposed to all wake up when the sun comes up. Mm -hmm. um, Because the sun gives um, feedback to our brain that tells us, okay, it's wake up, it's wake time, and we start secreting wake up hormones. So I'd say most people are kind of set around that time. They go to bed around nine or 10 and and. You know, wake up around eight hours later or so. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's some people that have kind of that night owl characteristic you were talking about. And some Mm -hmm. people have more of the early morning characteristic. So Mm -hmm. um, the night owl is called a delayed sleep phase. So there are people that their body's natural time that they want to be sleeping and when they want to wake up and what feels best for them is maybe they go to sleep at two in the morning and if they can sleep till 10 and wake up, they're going to feel great. But if mm-hmm. they're in you know, high school or um, they have a job where they have to get up at six, mm-hmm. they're going to be going to bed at two and waking up at six and feeling miserable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes those people try to go to sleep at 10 o'clock at night to try to get enough sleep, but they just lay in their beds because their body's not ready to sleep.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say, you know, I totally agree with you. You know, before the advent of the light bulb, we would follow, you know, the sun and follow, you know, you know dusk dawn vice versa things like that um and then the body like you said naturally you know starts a sleep cycle with the beginnings of secreting you know melatonin and after light bulb after industrialization and that era it's like we go to sleep later and later and later now over the past uh let's see the internet came out around 95 social media probably mm. like the 2000s yeah. and Everyone is on a smart device, you know, um, you know, like a phone, tablet, iPad, TV. you know, Like the list goes on, right? And now you have virtual reality now, so it's like <laughs> it, never <laughs> yeah, it, it never stops. Yeah, it never stops. <laughs> and so the thing is, is that you know, you could probably speak more about this. Um, you know, when I counsel patients about sleep, it's you know, obviously your sleep hygiene of keeping it dark, keeping the room, you know, temperature, and you can, you know, probably, you know, help, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like keeping it dark, keeping the room relatively cool, Uh um, having the bedroom only meant for, you know, sleep and sex, and cutting out distractions, especially the smartphones, because it gives off a certain wavelength that messes up that sleep cycle, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that insomnia is just it's becoming more and more common because of the electronics that we have in our life um and pretty much across the board the teenagers that i see in my sleep clinic all of them have their their smartphones in the bedroom with them Mm -hmm. and you know these things are addicting i mean even for me you know i think Mm -hmm. they're addicting for everybody Mm -hmm. uh uh i mean they'll admit yes you know I check it, you know, I check it every once in a while throughout the night. I mean, they're on it a lot during the night. And it emits blue light, like you were talking about. And blue light, our brains think is sun. And so it secretes Mm -hmm. wake hormones. And Mm -hmm. it makes it so hard to sleep and so hard to get to sleep. So really, our phones should not be in our bedroom. If you have to have it for, you know, emergency or something like that. It really needs to be in a place where you can't reach it easily from your, from your bed, be, like put it in a drawer or something so that it's, it's not easily accessible because they're very addictive. And once you get on a, wow. oh, well, let me just see what time it is, or let me see, let me check if I got that email, you know, 45 minutes later and you're on Facebook and you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's, and, 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 kids, you know, they have, it's harder for them to control it than us. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's even worse. Yeah. Um, I
0: mean, I was yeah. born, I was born in the early eighties. Um, so I know full well what life was like, you yeah. know, like I grew up with a landline, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's uh, it, the the current generation is just, I'm just, I worry and I don't have kids yeah. yet, but um, you know, I just worry about what life is like, because it's not just sleep, right? It's also about social in- interactions and, you know, right. everyone's more isolated and, you know, things like that, you know, let alone sleep. But I mm. totally agree with you. It's like, you know, we are to, to, you know, so addicted to it. It hits the same, you know, brain centers, um, you know, getting that dopamine hit and mm-hmm. very addicting. And, um, yeah. What are yeah. what are some like tips that you give to, or do you feel commonly now, like that is like the number one uh, reason why people don't go to sleep? Obviously, everyone's an individual basis, but-
1: Right. Like, you know, well, general, I'd say that's a fine. pretty, it's a pretty big one. Um, and they, there was also an interesting study that came out uh, maybe a year or so ago. So they looked at two different groups of people and neither of them had insomnia. So they, 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 both groups can go to sleep really easily. But one of the groups they had um, looking at their iPhones, like playing a little game or something on it. You know, even if it's something mindless like solitaire, playing a little game on their iPhone. And the other group didn't. They just went to sleep. The group that um, did use their iPhone had significantly less refreshing sleep and they had more fatigue during the day. And they Mm -hmm. both, both groups slept the same amount of time. So Mm -hmm. I think there's something with these games that activates our our brains and our minds so that it doesn't, it's not really able to shut down when we go to sleep completely. Mm -hmm. You still have something going on so that you don't get the restorative sleep that you need. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. thought that was fascinating because I think we always think about, well, these phones cause insomnia, but... I think they do so much more that we're just starting to realize.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would think I would say a couple of things, like one, you're still having that wavelength hit, right? That light hit. And then two, is like you're you're even though it's mindless, you're still engaging on some level. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, when you're supposed to sleep, you know, your systems are, you know, operating at a very you know, kind of like a basal level, kind of like a low level is supposed to shut down. Like your, your, your body is, you know, shutting down to sleep, you know? And, uh, and I say the same thing with eating, you know, I tell people, you know, not just to prevent heartburn, but it's kind of like, you know, you need to not eat or do any crazy physical activity, you know, right before bed, because Mm -hmm. your body's trying to shut, it's trying to shut itself off to rest. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so it's a, it's a huge, huge thing. Um, Are there any share with us uh, differences in terms of how sleep um, is for uh, a teenager um, an older, uh, a young adult and um, you know, adult and like, you know, elderly. Uh, populations. Does sleep kind of, you know, peak in a certain way? You know, is it naturally supposed to get less and less?
1: Yeah, we, um, kids and teenagers need way more sleep than we do as an adult. Um, And oftentimes I think that is overlooked. Um, A lot of, a lot of kids are going to bed at the same time as their parents, which isn't, isn't what we should be doing. You know, even um, teenagers, you know, you think like sixteen, seventeen year olds, they actually need nine to ten hours of sleep. A lot of them aren't getting it because of the they have to get up so early for school and their their days are so filled with like, you know, music practice and mm. homework and sports that they're not getting enough sleep, which is why there's been this big push to get later start times for um, high school. Mm. And interestingly, it's been shown to. Reduce the amount of car accidents when they Mm -hmm. make Mm -hmm. that change. So, yeah, definitely teenagers need more sleep. Teenagers are more likely, about 15% of them are going to have that delayed sleep phase circadian rhythm disorder Mm -hmm. that I talked about, where their natural rhythm is that they want to go to sleep at two, at you know, two in the morning or sometimes even like five in the morning, Mm -hmm. uh, which does not work if you're in high school. And then they'll mm-hmm. sleep in super late on the weekends because that's their normal pattern. Their normal body's telling them this is when I want to be asleep. Um, but that is fixable. You just you need to see a sleep doctor, but we use really low, really low dose melatonin and mm-hmm. then light in the morning. And that will help regulate the sleep. Um, so that's most common in teenagers. In older adults, sleep does tend to get more difficult and that tends to be because of other medical problems like arthritis, pain, waking you at night, Mm -hmm. maybe having to use the bathroom more at night. Mm -hmm. Um, And adult, um, uh, the older elderly population tend to have the opposite of teenagers where about they're about 15% of them will have what's called advanced sleep phase. So they want Mm -hmm. to go to bed at like seven or maybe eight o'clock and they'll wake up at like three in the morning Mm -hmm. and that's that's what they prefer that's their preferred sleep time
0: hey guys we're gonna be taking a short break but don't go anywhere we'll be right back welcome back to thrive bites let's get back to the interview Yeah, so of course there's like different and and I've had personal uh patient encounters where you know they do the second second swing or second shift and mm-hmm. I've also had patients with graveyard shifts and I remember distinctively a couple of patients I've had where they would work the graveyard shift and you know they come in they had other things going on they had obesity, high blood pressure and um their overall mood and uh, restlessness and just kind of, you know, attitude, you know, they, they've they realized that uh, they, they just couldn't operate. You know, they come to me and they're just trying to figure out what's going on. And when you go through, you know, their risk factors and trying to say, you know, besides just you know, it's not as simple as like, okay, lose some weight, which will help, right? Yeah. Let's reduce your blood pressure, which will help. But, you know, especially these graveyard shift, uh, you know, patients or people in general, um, you know, I, I just said, you know what, I even, I even go as far as I think you need to, you know, not quit your job, but I think you need to ask for a different shift, right. you know, um, so you so to be able to help, help your body regulate, You know, um, you know, there's some, I actually tell them, you need to quit your job. Like this, your health needs to come first, um, because it's destroying you, Mm -hmm. you know, because that right there is a common denominator, you know, between your blood pressure and your high sugars and your weight and, you know, the list goes on. And, um, so sleep is, is hugely, hugely, um, important. So, uh, guide us through certain, uh, uh, sleep misconceptions—some just some common ones that you encounter on a daily basis. You know, when patients come to you and they say, "Like, doc, you know, I can't do X, Y, and Z." Like, what are some common misconceptions that uh, patients or just people that come to you for?
1: Um, I think one of the big ones is that many people—I mean, I think our society has sort of uh, conditioned us for this—to think that snoring is normal. That mm-hmm. snoring while you're sleeping is normal. You know, when you turn on the TV or you're watching a cartoon or a movie or something, you every time people go to sleep, they snore and that's like the sign that they're sleeping, which is so wrong. Um, mm-hmm. snoring is not normal. It makes me laugh when I watch cartoons with my kids because like universally <laughs> They all snore like Snoopy is snoring. Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's not okay. And so, yeah. you know, sometimes I'll see young kids and they will be snoring and, you know, they'll say, well, we just thought it was in the family because dad snores really loudly too. So also, you know, little Charlie snores as well, right, right. you know, especially in kids snoring is very abnormal. Mm. Um. Because snoring is uh, like when, when we're awake, we we don't breathe loudly. We breathe quiet for the most part. When you're just sitting there, not exerting yourself, um, it should be pretty similar to when you go to sleep. Um, snoring is what happens. Is, you know, when we when we go to sleep and our muscles all relax naturally, mm-hmm. the tongue and the throat will relax as well. Um, and if that the air you're breathing in is having any sort of trouble or narrowing getting down into your lungs. That's when snoring will happen. It kind of makes the tissues vibrate and makes the snoring noise. So you can have narrowing anywhere from your nose down to your vocal cords. Um, if anything is narrowing in there, you might have snoring and mm. snoring can be a sign of obstructive sleep apnea, which is a pretty serious condition. Hmm. Um, and it does happen in children, most of the time due to large mm-hmm. tonsils or adenoids. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can happen in adults. And in adults, you know, as we know, when we don't treat the sleep apnea, they're more likely to develop high blood pressure, heart attacks, mm-hmm. strokes, dementia, just all these all these problems with your sleep. And some people get really sleepy from sleep apnea. But there's about 25% of people that don't have any symptoms of it. They feel great when they wake up. They feel like they sleep good. And their partner is telling them, You snore. And they said, well, Yeah, but I feel good. I sleep good. I'm mm, fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, it, even if you don't really have a lot of symptoms, snoring is still a really important thing to talk to your doctor about. Yeah.
0: So it's not normal.
1: It's not normal. Mm, no. Mm, mm, no. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's a big one, because I think that is a very common, common thing that people think is normal is is snoring. And, um, you know, it's not, you know, like you said, and, um, you know, definitely, you know, check with your healthcare provider. When is it and off of that, you know, when, when, if you can give, you know, talk to the audience members in terms of like, when is it a good time to address whether a sleep study like what is a sleep study and when is it a good time to go to your primary care or a specialist to get a sleep study um to get it done
1: um so i think it's important if you if you snore or if anyone's telling you you breathe funny at night um or you wake up gasping or feeling like you can't breathe at night um or if you, during the day, you're really sleepy, even though you're getting enough sleep at night. Um, but also sometimes if you're not sleeping, if you have trouble sleeping, that can be a good reason to get a sleep study as well. But when we do a sleep study, um, there's two ways to do it. There's one where you come into the sleep lab and you spend the night Um it's a very comprehensive study. So we have an EEG on, which monitors your brain waves. It tells me if you're awake or asleep and what stage of sleep you're in. Uh, we monitor your heart, your breathing. We monitor your legs to mm-hmm. see if you're kicking all night. We really look at all those things to see if there is some something going on in your sleep that's causing the problem. So mm-hmm. either that your sleep isn't restorative or you can't sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, the other way is a home sleep study. The home sleep study is really just to look at your breathing. It's not as comprehensive as the full study, but you know, it's more comfortable. You get to do it at home. There's less equipment. It's just not always as accurate. Um, if you snore and, um, or have any signs concerning for sleep apnea, if you have a negative home sleep study, you don't stop there you have to go and do the full sleep study to confirm you don't have sleep apnea.
0: Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that almost sounds like double duty. Like if, you know, if your home home test wasn't that great, you would have to come into the lab. So it almost sounds like, you know, just do it. (laughs) Just, just do all in one and just go into the lab. Just do it right uh, the
1: first time. Yeah. yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. If you have any uh, uh, problems, you know, from the first time around. So.
1: Yeah. There's some people that just want to they're like, they kind of want to dip their toe in a little bit. Okay, let me do the home study. You know, because it was about 10% of the time we have to have them do the full one after the home. So sometimes the home is all you need. And and you know, sleep is an interesting thing. People are pretty hesitant to uh some people are hesitant to to delve into it and see what's going on.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, um a lot another thing I would love to talk about is the bed um and yeah. the pillow, you know? For me Um, I prefer, you know, firm, not like rock solid, but semi firm, um, you know, bed and also, um, the pillow, you know, we essentially sleep like a third of our lives. You know, I tell my patients and, um, it's important to invest in a very, very good, you know, mattress and pillow. Can you speak about, um, a little bit about that? You know, is there like a certain material, what kind of mattress and pillow, um, you know, that we would need?
1: Yeah, I think it's really, um, it's very individual. So it kind of depends if you are, if you like to sleep on your stomach or your back or your side, you kind of need different levels of support, both from your mattress and from your pillow. Um, so I mean, this is what I do. I I go to the mattress store and I lay in about like 15 beds and then I come back and I do it again, (laughs) You you know, keep trying, do you really? Okay, this is really what's going to work for me. Um, and like you said, you want to have a bedroom that is on the cooler side. So sometimes mm-hmm. the foam, you know, if you put like a foam type of mattress on top, it can sort of trap in a lot of heat and be a little hotter. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to find materials that don't trap a lot of a lot of heat is helpful too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. In terms of the pillow, um, I don't know if you have something to say about it, but I get one of those like um, those cervical pillows where it Mm. supports, you know, the natural curvature in our necks. And, um, you know, sometimes I get patients that uh, have a lot of neck pain and literally, especially if they have no history of any trauma or injuries, I literally ask them, you know, what kind of pillow are you sleeping on? Um, and you'd be surprised on how, how, you know, easy of a remedy that is. And, um, you know, I add to the point about, um, you know what you're probably going to get better sleep after this, you know what I'm saying? Because you know, we have a natural curvature. is not your spine is not straight up and down. You know, you have that natural curvature in your neck and your um in your low back or lumbars and um it's meant to be able to withstand stress and pressure and uh, weight, you know? Um and so, you know, we need to be able to support that, especially nowadays when, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff, you know, in in terms of we're um talking about posture and ergonomics, you know, in terms of of, you know, we're always in the steering wheel, so your arms are always in front, you're typing, your arms are always in front. So you have that kind of like, you know, hunchback of Notre Dame type of posture, you know what I'm saying? Your head is crane forward, (laughs) you know, so it's important to also support that, um, you know, um, by a pillow, by a, a nice pillow.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, so I love this. Um, I definitely want to close out. And, uh, you know, I love hearing about my guests uh, thriving. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I love hearing about, you know, that's the centerpiece of the show. Um, this podcast is really like the heart of and soul of the person behind what they do and what they live for. Um, what in your life have you know helped you to kind of keep pushing on, keep waking up in the morning, you know, you know, <laughs> no pun intended, but like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and keep the fire burning, you know, like what has made you thrive on a personal level? And then the second part of that question is, um, if you can offer the audience members, you know, three tips in you know improving your sleep, you know, since you know we're, you know, the episodes mainly talking about sleep.
1: Yeah. So for me, thriving is when I sort of have a good balance in three areas in my life. So number one, work. I want to be inspired. I never want to stop learning. I want to, I want to serve my patients to the best of my ability. And so I kind of always want to be sort of pushing forward in that aspect. Um, the second one is time with friends and family. I want to spend time that's not rushed with my husband and and my children Mm -hmm. and our Mm -hmm. family and friends, because that really, really recharges me. Um, And then the third area that I have to have balance in is um, my self-care time. Mm -hmm. So exercise, healthy eating, sleep, of course, um, pursuing hobbies, and, and also taking care of my own medical care. I think doctors sometimes are some of the worst at this and often neglect Mm -hmm. themselves. I think a lot of doctors don't have their own primary care doctor. Um, (laughs) Pretty much. It's like,
0: like, why do I need a doctor? I'm already a doctor. No,
1: no, no, no. Right. You know, it's like what they tell you in the airplane. You know, you got to put your own oxygen mask on first.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite analogies. Yeah.
1: I mean, you got to keep your own cup full. So when I am doing too much of one of these three aspects in my life, I feel out of balance um, and I don't feel like I'm thriving. Um, Like say I'm just in a really busy cycle at work and I'm working overtime. I have to try to figure out some way to get that balance back. You know, and sometimes it'll be, I do meal prep for the week on Mm -hmm. the weekend to ensure that me and my family have healthy food and I'll do that prep with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll be chopping and we'll be talking and um so I kind of get both self-care and family time in at the same time. So mm-hmm. I really I consciously work to keep those three aspects of my life balanced and that mm-hmm. helps me a lot. Um and then my so three tips for healthy sleep, healthy lifestyle. I think mm-hmm. number one is don't forget to prioritize your sleep time. Uh sleep is important. Um, and if you have any concerns for any sleep problems for yourself or your or your bed partner, see your doctor and talk about it. Um we have a lot of tools. We have a lot of tools to help you. Mm -hmm. Um the second one is to try to avoid highly processed foods. Mm -hmm. Um there was a study that came out recently that showed that women who had a higher intake of processed food also had more insomnia. Mm. I really think that what you what you put into your body does affect your sleep a lot. So mm-hmm. if you can try to on your plate have at least 50% of your plate be vegetables, you know non-starchy vegetables preferably, but 50% mm. of your plate be veggies. And so when you're thinking about okay, what am I do, gonna do for dinner tonight, think about what vegetables you're gonna do first. And then think about the other secondary, you know, your proteins or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the last tip that I have is to practice mindfulness and really work to be present in the, mo- in the moment. Uh, it's important for your overall stress levels. It's important when you're eating to sort of be mindful and intuitive about what you eat. So you, don't, you stop eating when you're satisfied. You don't eat to the point of being full or stuffed. Um, and mindfulness practice practice is also really helpful for your sleep. You know, it can help you turn your mind off, get those phones away because they're not helping. Mm Uh, and if you need a little help with, uh, turning your mind off, uh, UCLA has a really great free guided meditation website. So you can access various lengths of audio files that will take you step by step through, through meditation. And it's it's really helpful. It's really helpful to, to center your body.
0: Nice. Nice. I
1: love that. Well, thank
0: you so much for coming on to the show. I know this episode, our session together will be greatly beneficial um, to our audience members, especially in the realm of th- uh, sleep. I don't think... Um, there's never enough, uh, information and awareness we need to about, uh, need to learn more about sleep because we need, you know, so much, uh, it's not talked about, you know, a lot like we talked about, um, if people are interested and wanting to learn more about you, how mm-hmm. can they reach you? Where can they find you?
1: Um, so I'm on, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and, um, I'm Dr. Jody Tate. So D-R-J-O-D-Y-T-A-T-E. And I just like putting out uh, tips on on sleep and new information on sleep and provide education.
0: Okay. Okay. We'll uh, put that in the show notes. And uh, okay. um, thank you again, uh, Jody. I really appreciate you coming on. Guys, this has been another episode of Thrive Bites. Thank you for following and listening and check back every week uh, for this. Um, and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you, Jody. Hey, guys, that was another episode of Bites. If you liked that episode, please subscribe and follow for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.